This week, I'm going to challenge you, I hope. I, I really want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to believe that your faith matters. And by that, I, just, I don't just mean that what you know to be true about God matters. I mean that that knowledge in you as the Holy Spirit's work through you is more than knowledge. It is juice to feed your faith. Now, faith is an organ of the heart, I think. It is a part of how the heart works. The heart trusts things. You look for things to trust, and then you trust them. But Christian faith, the kind of faith I'm going to ask you to exercise is to begin to distinguish where your heart is trusting. To ask your heart what it's trusting. And now because you're a Christian, just trust me when I tell you, you're going to find that you're trusting the wrong stuff. Your heart is deceitful before it is anything else. I've already said it somewhere this morning. Uh, I, I know that I don't lie to anybody except myself. And that's how I lie to everybody else. It's because I lied to myself first. See, I'm going to challenge you to stop lying to yourself. And the way that's going to happen is you're going to open the Bible and you're going to look at it. It's going to tell you you're a liar and you're going to see it. You're, oh, I'm a liar. I repent. I'm going to ask you to repent. And part of what I'm going to do that with today is with regard to the fact, the fact that every measure of suffering and affliction God puts into your life is for your good. And if you don't remember that, then it won't be. Because the way it's for your good is by making you remember that. So that when it doesn't look good, you know it is. And exercise your faith against what you see. You believe in what you know more than in what you see. Now, Paul's very on to that in 2 Corinthians 4, and I want to get there. But I want to get there on the other side of this Proverbs 3 text, which is just so, so amazing to me. I have, you hear me say this every week now, probably. I've been in Proverbs really hard for this past year. Yeah, I have. Um, I've, I adore it, actually, I think I would have to say. Um, I used to really not like chapters 2 through about 7. And the reason for that was, I thought they were repetitive. I thought that made it boring. He'd already said it in chapter one. Why would he say it again? I guess we just need to hear it again is usually what I would teach. And I meant it. And I'd try to hunger for it. But it wasn't until I started looking at it in the Hebrew that I realized how different it is from what the English says. Now, I'm not going to tell you don't trust your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. I am going to tell you, you can't understand Proverbs in English. We don't have a translation of it. We do not have a translation of Proverbs. We have an attempt. We have a commentary on it. But we don't have it. I'll, I'll prove it with one verse, okay? First verse that we have this morning, which is verse 1 of chapter 3. B'ni Torah-ti. I don't have to go very far. B'ni Torah-ti. Now, my son, the English got right. My son. The next word is Torah. Do you know this yet? Do you know that word? Someone put their hand up. You know the word Torah. Good, a couple of you. Somebody shout what it means. Let me know. Law. What kind of law? 
God's law. God's only law written in stone tablets as part of the final covenant as he sets down his place upon the earth. Which, of course, we know is not the final covenant except for when it's fulfilled in Jesus. But that word Torah, that gets translated as teaching now. My son, do not forget my teaching. The thing is, if you come along and you think it just means teaching in general, like what God says in general, you're missing the boat. Do not forget Christianity, Solomon says. My son, Solomon says. I just don't think that comes across in the English. Bani parati al tishka u mitzotau yetzar livta. My son, my Torah, not you forget. And my commandments guard. Do they guard your heart? Or do you guard them with your heart? It could kind of go either way. Both. My commandments guard your heart. For, this next part is kind of flowery. It's nice. Orech yamim ush noth kayim vashalom. You got that one? Vashalom. Yosef Pu. Can you hear a name in that one? Yosef Fu. Huh? Lek. Yeah, you heard it, Joseph. Okay. So, for, I won't, I won't give you all the words again, but it's, it's for great days. Not just long days or not just many days, but big days. For big days and a long life and shalom, peace. Yosefu. The name Yosef means increase. So the verb Yosefu means they will increase, right? So great days, long years, and peace will increase to you. Where? In the Torah. Now, Jesus would have used that word to mean the Old Testament. I'm going to say it's not just about the Ten Commandments. As Christians, we know that the Torah became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. He has been crucified. Yes? Uh, he is God who is with God from the beginning. That means then, yes, Jesus is Torah. Do not forget Jesus. But then hear this. If you really want to translate it forward, it doesn't say, my son, do not forget my teaching. It says, my son, do not forget the scriptures. My son, do not forget the Bible. My son, don't stop reading it. But let your heart or let my commandments let them guard each other. Let the commandments be your heart. He's going to talk in a moment about inscribing it on your heart. Length of days and all this, it will add to you. The promise. Notice the promise. Remember this. Your experience in this life with your neighbors is in large part based upon your works. Almost exclusively with the exception of the radical grace God continues to send you so that it all keeps working out. <laughs> if it was just your works, it would not work out at all. But the fact is, again, that God is with you in spite of your works to provide for you, in spite of your works, the knowledge that he's working behind and through you. Yeah? And this, then, is the peace that's added to you to know that even when your works fail, God is still working through you to believe he's sufficient. I can't say this enough. The answer is not more of your efforts. 
I mean, write that one down. The answer is not more of your efforts. Love and faithfulness, God's going to add to you in his Bible. You open it. Love and faithfulness comes into your life. So then it says, verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. I think you can translate that differently. I think you can translate it as love and faithfulness will not forsake you. It's not just a command as if it's up to you to keep God happy with you. Because you keep the scriptures, you know what they say, that love and faithfulness are going to follow you the rest of your life. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so it tells you to bind them around your neck. Yeah? Bind them around your neck. Is verse 3? Yes. Verse 3. Bind them. There it is. And then, I love this. Kavain al-luach. Lif, liveka. Okay, so cut the vein. Does it say in the English, it says, write them? The word is to cut, like with a knife, into your heart. Cut them into your heart. But it doesn't say heart first. It says tablet. And that's the word for tablets of stone, like the Ten Commandments, okay? So the Ten Commandments, God writing with his finger into the tablets of stone is just a symbol of him writing with his finger into the stone of your heart. A wisdom that is not from you, but from him, written for all generations in the scriptures. Always about Jesus, his resurrection, his return. So it doesn't say, though, here, he will cut them into your heart. It does say, you do it. Cut them into your heart. Bind them around your neck. And what do you find? Favor and much success. The, the language is very poetic. It's like, it's like goodness, gooding. Like so much good. You'll find so much good when you have the scriptures bound to you. And notice how, again, this is in the sight of God and man. So the scriptures teach you so much good in the sight of God that you are justified for the sake of Jesus' resurrection alone, his crucifixion alone, what is achieved by blood atonement for you. Before God, the scriptures declare to you, you are an eternal son, you are immortal now, you can never die. And before man, the scriptures teach you how to not be a fool. Which means to know how to love even fools. Verse 5 is the one you want to memorize. Uh, I remember memorizing it as a young man at a Lutheran school. I'm not sure everything I got out of my Lutheran school was good. In fact, I'll think back and say it twice. I'm pretty sure a lot of it wasn't. But they did make me memorize Bible verses. And that was very good. That was very good. Batak al-Joshua bakal livda. Trust in Jesus Christ with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding because it, it'll break. But Jesus won't. Those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, right? So trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And then with this, Let's 
I can't believe I got that far. Um, Orkoteka. In all the roads of you or the paths of you, think like a, a real solid pathway that more than one person can go on. That's this first word. In all the roads of you, know him, acknowledge him. What's that mean? It means know he's with you. Remember, you're not alone, that you're a son of God, born again in Jesus Christ. In all your roads, remember that, and it says he will smooth your path. Can you imagine a crowded road? Let's go different from crowded. Can you imagine a pothole marked road with a good path if you just kind of bob and weave a little bit? I can, Kilburn. Hello. <laughs> but that's the idea here, is that in Christ, on the road of this stormy, crazy life, your path is actually smooth, not when you try to look ahead and plan it, but when you trust that he has. When you do what's in front of you instead of what's far away from you, which again brings us back to these stories a little bit, yes? One of the greatest struggles about these stories that continue to plague us is that they're not in Rockford. By and large, they're not in Rockford. People are in Rockford who care about these stories, but the events are so far away as to be like literally that way. Now, it's important, I think, to pray for bad news when you hear it. No matter what, I think, oh, Lord, have mercy. Hallelujah ought to come out of your mouth. But let me tell you this, too. Not a single one of us can do a thing about Afghanistan. There's people who can. They're not here. They're not in Rockford. What we can do, there's a whole lot of good things about this corner and your families and wherever you go in Rockford. You can do a lot of that. Let me suggest the more time you worry about far away you can do nothing about, the less energy you'll have for doing the good right here. In all your ways, know that he is with you and he will smooth your path. And then here, verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. I think, and Hebrew grammar is so challenging. So when I say I think, I mean... I'm pretty sure I understand this, but you know, you could call me on the grammar. Generally, when I'm saying that, please know that I think I have this point well supported in some other text that's very obvious. Yeah. But here again, it's more about the flow than what it says. I mean, clearly, it's about not being wise in your own eyes. The only question is whether or not it's saying that's something you can do, or whether or not it's saying that's the result of trusting in Jesus Christ with all your heart. And I think it's that one. It's not trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart and don't do this. It's trust in Jesus Christ with all your heart and you will not be wise in your own eyes. That's a good thing. Instead, you will fear Jesus Christ and turn from evil. Turn from evil. Or even better, turn away evil. That evil comes upon you and your heart, deceptive as it is, wants you to repay evil for evil, but you turn away from your heart and say, no, I will repay evil with good. And in that way, you have in fact turned evil. You have been the bulwark as some other human treated you in a way that you did not deserve. It was evil. But rather than consider yourself the God of justice to avenge, you love them anyway. And that's Christ on the cross. That's your Lord God inside of you. That's favor with God and man truly spent in this life as the glory that St. Paul is going to talk about here in a moment in 2 Corinthians 4. We're almost to that. 
You will not be wise in your own eyes. You will turn evil. Opening the scriptures, not forgetting what they say, living with them as your heart beats, you will begin to turn evil when you see it and you won't be afraid of it because you know the Bible's more true than everything else. Mm. Let me tell you, it's a foundation. It will be, verse 8, Raputh tihi lishareka vashekyu That's a tough one. Laatsamoteka what I like about that is I spent a ton of time trying to find a great translation on that. And I went to the King James and had exactly what I'd written out. It's really nice. Uh, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now, as cool as that is, that's not the way we tend to talk. What do you mean? Refreshment to my bones. Uh, how do you heal my flesh without making me like feel better right now. Well, let me suggest that this shalom that it promises you, the healing of your flesh, is not the removal of pain. It's the awareness that faith is greater than the pain. That endurance is better than leisure. That glory is about enduring suffering right now. And the life to come, it'll be about pleasure. Right now, it's about enduring suffering. And how do you know this is more true than it could possibly be anything else? Because look at your king. Look at his life. Was it fun? Now, you might say no. Let me give you a little story here. I used to play a lot of video games. What I love most about video games is they're like movies that you're in. Because you kind of get to be the main character. The really good ones. Not the little kind of handheld stuff. But like the really expensive stuff that they're doing VR with now. Right? You get to be in the movie. That's what I loved about it. And so what I loved about a video game was not just how it played, but I loved the story that it would tell. That's when I would tell you it was good, as if it had a good story. So that's why I, I played a lot. I don't as much now. It's a different topic. But one game I remember very vividly. It was actually three games. A trilogy. And they carried one story through the whole thing. I've really never seen anything like it except in movies. And they did it well. It's called Mass Effect. I'm not going to tell you everything about Mass Effect. I'm just going to tell you this. After three games, we're looking at like, it's godless here, 90 hours of gameplay. Okay, over what? A couple months. After three games of this, this character that you are named Commander Shepard is trying to lead a crew of about eight people to defend the Earth against multiple giant robot squid from far away, sounds pretty funny, that are absolutely, they're called Reavers, that are invading and destroying everything. It's pretty intense. They're shooting great lasers at the planet. Everything's blowing up. You have no hope. Humans have no hope. And you decide, I don't care. I'm running at the main ship anyway. And you get to play through this. And you run at that main ship and you actually, well, you think you die, but then no, you got there. And, and you win the game. Now, That moment when he's running toward the ship, he's watching his friends die. You're watching your friends die. Characters you've lived in this story with, they're dying around you and you're going to make it anyway. You start to fall into nothingness. That's Jesus on the cross. This was his entire life. He had spent his entire life defending us from the evil ones. And at that moment, he wasn't going to back down once. And I'm going to tell you, while he prayed for the cup to be taken, once he walked toward it, there was no looking back. This was his awesomeness. This was his victory. This was him saying, I'm king. And that spirit is given to you for every moment of suffering you have in the face of Jesus. In the face of Jesus. In the knowledge that Jesus Christ is your king. 
and the awareness that his wisdom is greater than your folly. And all these marvelous things that then again brings healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Let's talk about the body with the Second Corinthians text, though. So if you got your English turn there, um, I wasn't really happy with my handling of this in the first service, although I, I did record the first service sermon this week and will try to do so in the future. It makes me dance a bit more between the, the, the hymns and all, but um, so that's there if you want to go look it up. I went into a lot of detail, and uh, I probably will not go into that much detail on this text now, but it's there if you want to go look for it. What I want to highlight, though, for sure, is what we have in English, and I want to start with verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Now, I don't know if it's a one-to-one, but remember, Solomon said, healing to your body. And now Paul seems to be implying that something about faith in your body, that is, as you, a human who is a body, exercise faith in Jesus Christ, is more than just faith in Jesus Christ. It's, in fact, Jesus Christ in you, in your body, but in a very specific way, in his death. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Now, that's connected to what he says right before it in verse 8, describing his life and our life, his life as an apostle, our life as Christians. And the language is here, what? Afflicted, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Um, I have my own uh, kind of words here I want to focus on, but they all have the same edge. On the one side, you have pressure, you have overwhelm, and you have harassment. On the other side, you have words about the solidarity of your defender. So you're pressured, but you're not abandoned. Your God's still on the throne, and he knows exactly what he's doing. You're overwhelmed, but you're not overrun. You haven't lost. You can't lose. You're justified. You're harassed but you're not abandoned. You're about to take the body and blood of Jesus into you, into your body. Are you cast down? Sure. That's what it means to be fallen and to own up to that every day of the rest of our lives and say, yeah, I am cast down, but I am not abolished. Far from it. It's been declared to me that I am eternal now. Caring about the death of Jesus in my body, in my pressure, my overwhelm, my harassment, my being cast down so that the life of Jesus, his not abandoning me, his not letting me be overrun, his not uh, leaving me abolished so that that might be manifested in my body too. Again, how? As the spirit that moves the tongue. As the spirit that moves the tongue. And this is where I want to move back to verse 7 and then jump out of our text further into the Uh, chapter 4 a little bit here to talk about the tongue this morning. But so we have this, this treasure of the Holy Spirit's gift. The faith you have that you're immortal because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead as an immortal and has claimed you as his own. You have this treasure. It's a treasure 
Its life itself is worth more than gold and silver, but you have it not in the place you'd expect to treasure. You have it in a jar of clay. Uh, the Greek there is a lot of fun. I love this verse. Ostrakinois uh, skiosin. It's like a man made of mud, but not like Adam. Think more like, do you know the, the legend of the golem? It's actually a Jewish legend, the legend of the golem. So at some time in the Middle Ages when the Jews are being persecuted, some Jew made like a, a mud man, a golem, a, a, a puppet out of clay. And then it went and avenged the people who were hurting the Jews in the night in, in Russia. It's sort of a, a, you know, myth, fairy tale or voodoo, I don't know. But the language is similar to this, that he kind of calls us currently golems, not like Lord of the Rings, like mud men, kind of empty puppets, right? Uh, currently, we have this treasure in empty puppets. What we yet will be, what he goes on to say we're going to be, oh, not mud men, not empty puppets, not even known, but like a seed to a flower. That's First Corinthians. So, so your current experience is the seed, and the flower is what comes when he comes again. You have that seed in this jar of clay all now to teach you now that the surpassing power of your salvation, your life, your walking today now belongs to God and not to you. That's why the suffering. That's why the affliction. So you will always remember it belongs to God and not to you so that you will know it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. All right, I said I wanted to go after verse 10 where it talked about the body of death, uh, uh, the body uh, the death of Jesus in our body and the life of Jesus in our body, that word body there is contrasted in verse 11 with the word flesh, with the word flesh. And I have that here for us. Verse 11 says, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also might be manifested in our mortal flesh. 2 Corinthians 4.11, make a note. Go read this one. I'm just going to read it again. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested, now it says, in our mortal flesh. I'm going to quibble here. I'm going to say it's against your mortal flesh. That Jesus is harming that part of you that is selfish and recalcitrant and angry and rude and never going to believe because it's called the old man. He'll talk about this later. We won't go into that. He calls it the old man. The old man in you never repents. The old man in you never comes along to go to paradise. The old man is the you you find daily that you want Jesus to kill. And the more you can admit it, the better off it's going to be because then you don't have to feel bad about every bad thought you have. A lot of Christians are running around trying not to have bad thoughts. That's like they're trying not to be a human that's both a Christian and a sinner. The goal is not to not have bad thoughts. The goal is to not let the bad thoughts that come from your bad heart come out of your mouth. And so learn to have a good mouth. Oh, he's going to say that here again. That's why we're doing this. Verse 11 is the mortification of your flesh. It's the putting down of your wicked desires. Verse 13 
And since we have the same spirit, I told you earlier, we have the Holy Spirit. Believe it. You have the Holy Spirit. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke, we also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you, for all things are yours. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. I really want to pull that all apart for you. It's warm. It's late. I'm going to try to do about half a job at it. We got to see. I believed and therefore I spoke. And I would like you to see how the glory of God in this life is our thanksgiving during affliction. That's the glory of God. Yeah, I'll try to show you those two things and then we'll, we'll shut this thing up. So I believed and therefore I spoke. What he's saying there is that the Holy Spirit of old told the prophets to speak. And one of them wrote down, I believed what I was told and I spoke. And Paul's saying, now that's yours. That's yours. That the scriptures are given for you to believe and therefore speak. Now, they say it a different way. In another verse, I don't have the, the reference. I don't even have the piece I want right here. <laughs> there it is. Uh, you've heard this before. Uh, he who believes with the mouth, God, I did that last service. He who believes with the heart and confesses with the mouth shall be saved. Now that's really about giving the good confession when someone tells you don't. But it's also showing you that there is a line drawn or tied between your heart and your tongue. Between your heart and your tongue. I believed, therefore I spoke. I believed, therefore I confessed. Now, you can show this really easily. This isn't like rocket science here. What do people talk about? Well, what they believe is what they talk about. That's all they talk about. is what they think, what they believe, what they see. The only question is, why aren't Christians talking about Christianity? Why are we bored with it? What happened? Uh, well, we're being afflicted that we ask that question. We're being challenged to remember that it's good to be sufferers in this age. The tie between the heart and the tongue means that. Means that. The tongue is the heart that not only you can judge, but you're supposed to judge. Maybe you have heard it said, you know, you can't judge the heart. Um, not exactly, that's true. Like you shouldn't try to read someone's mind, but you are supposed to judge their words, like always, like everybody. Like if they say hello, you're supposed to judge whether they're telling the truth or not. You know, are they, are, you're leaving, why are you saying hello? You know, you've made a judgment, that's important. If you don't judge words, you're a fool who just believes everything. You're gonna be pushed in every which direction. So the tongue is always the heart you must judge. Now, what are you gonna judge it with the Bible, right? Somebody testify? Amen. Okay. So you're going to judge it with the Bible. And now secondly, whose tongue do I want you to focus on judging right now? Yours. Yours. I want you to ask yourself this week what my tongue is doing. Try to listen. Is it kind? Is it gentle? Is it hasty? Is it quarrelsome? My guess is you'll find some of a lot of things. Huh? And then what I want you to do 
Just work on it. Huh? Work on what you say. You find, oh, I, I kind of say this. I don't like how I say this. Try not to. It might take a while. Habits are hard to break. Huh? And then even one better, try to put good words in. Take just one Bible verse. One. Put it on a card. See if you can sneak it into a conversation this week with somebody. Don't even let them know it's from the Bible. Just say the truth. See what happens. Discipline your tongue and see if it doesn't produce profound results. According to the Spirit, I believed and therefore I spoke. And this is where then again, the alleluia idea. We had at least three people at first service tell me. They said an alleluia out loud this week somewhere. Anybody else in this service do it? You find one? One? Two? Was that the same as last one? Anybody else? Three? All right. So remember, if you weren't here last week, I mean, it's just, it's better than damn it. Really? It really is. Whenever you would say that, just say hallelujah instead. It kind of feels nice, honestly. Takes a little while. It's not that easy. And you might look around because you don't want to be too loud, which is probably good if you're going to curse, right? Instead, you're going to bless. You're not going to curse. You're going to bless. Hallelujah. The blessing of lips that praise Jesus' name is the power of the glory of God in the present suffering. That you suffer and praise him anyway, knowing it is not true that the sufferings, the devil's lie pressed upon you. That's not the world he created, but what the devil's tried to make it. And you see past it. You see, the maker didn't do this. We did this. And so again, singing praise into the whirlwind and the storm of your own affliction and pain is heaven now. It's how it works, how the spirit enters you now. Our light and momentary affliction, verse 17 said, is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Looking not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Because the unseen things are eternal. And so, verse 15, I'm backing up a little bit. The grace, having spread through many, causes thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. This is it's so imperative for us Lutherans. We have, to, we have to understand this as Lutherans. I'm not just talking St. Paul. I'm talking to any Lutheran that will listen to me and wonders what happened. We used to be a dynamo in the church world. Our pews were full of people singing our songs. The reason we were a dynamo was because of our songs. That's not true anymore. I'm not sure I have an answer why on every level. I can say this. I can say it doesn't matter if it's an organ, a piano, or a guitar if you're not paying attention to the words that you sing. Straight up. Like you're not believing what you're saying. It's not doing you much good. So, so there is that. But see it as a promise. See it as a promise that when the Holy Spirit enters your heart, the ultimate glory of God in your life is that that grace, that undeserved living that he is pushing into you, spreading through the many, it says, right? All Christians are getting this, will cause thanksgiving to abound in the, to the, as the glory of God. So the abounding of thanksgiving from your lips in this life is the glory of God in this life. When we stop blessing God for what's going on and begin to curse each other, well, Christianity falls apart. So again, I told you earlier this morning, I wanted to challenge you today. I want to get you to think about your faith, not as an idea, not as a, a card on a shelf or, or something like that, 
not even just as a past event. Like, I mean, baptism is important, but don't think of your faith just as a past event. Definitely don't think of it as a theory. You just got to get the right answers. You'll be fine. Think of your faith as the active use of your tongue against your heart with the scriptures. And I tell you, again, the face of Jesus will open your eyes. Uh, the ability to not be the fool, but to pity the fool will become your heart. And even your heart, which you hate, will become something that you engage with self-control. So that again, his lies will become just distractions to you as you affirm by the word of God, as you inscribe and cut the word of God into that stone. Say no to your flesh and yes to what it says. This isn't what you're got to do. This is what you're going to do. Because this is what Christ does. And I don't think he's made us gather like this as we have here on this corner for this year. And he's caused me to do a couple of turns and 180s to preach this way as I've been doing this year. I don't think he did all of it just to make nothing happen. I'm pretty confident we're here to believe firmly and speak. And that as we do, we will see that the kingdom, which is really in charge, is still working just fine. As long as we use his words. In the name of Jesus. Amen.